Have you ever noticed that um, children seem to have less inhibitions than we do? Have you ever noticed that? Like a little kid will walk up to somebody that they've never met before and say, Hey, you want to you wanna be my friend? And sure enough, they're friends, fast friends from that point forward. And they go off and they never met each other before. And they're able to do that. I always think that's beautiful. And I always think, when did I lose that? Because I, all kids do, but it happens, doesn't it? The older you get, the more you experience life. You kind of lose that, that childhood innocence. I remember once when I was uh, probably seven or eight years old. I don't remember exactly, but, but I was a little boy, and my parents had bought a new home, and we, we moved into a neighborhood where we didn't know anybody. Uh, but that reality didn't last very long for me, because one day I was in the backyard. I just loved playing all kinds of different sports, and that day I was in the backyard just dribbling my basketball all by myself, kind of feeling sorry for myself, you know, when suddenly this little boy who lived kitty corner across the backyard from me made his way through a hole in the hedge. He was about the same age as me, and he he comes through the hole in the hedge, and he says, Hey, can I play basketball with you? His name was Mike. And from that moment on, Mike and I were buddies. And I can't even tell you how many times uh, Mike and I both made our way back and forth between that hole in the hedge. Uh, Sometimes we would make our way back and forth through the hole in the hedge, pretending like we were the Beaver Creek Raiders. Other times we'd make our way through the hole in the hedge and we'd play any number of of kind of game because we both liked sports. And all the while, we would talk because we were friends about all kinds of things. One of the things that we talked about was God, which was very odd for me, by the way, because at that point in my life, my family and I did not go to church, but Mike's family did. And in their church... They taught people, even from the littlest age, even from Jacob's age on up, maybe even smaller than that, that it was a Christian's privilege to share the love of Jesus with everybody they they met. And my friend Mike, he took that privilege and that responsibility very seriously. And I remember one specific day, we were in his backyard playing catch. And we were just playing catch. I don't even know how it happened. It must have been the Holy Spirit hit him. He said, hey, Craig. He says, do you believe in God? And I said, well, sure, I believe in God. Everybody believes in God, right? And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, well, if you believe in God, why don't you go to church? And I said, I don't know. My, my family just doesn't go to church. And he said, well, would you like to come with me? And I, I stopped. Hmm. I said, um, I don't think so. And guess what we did? We continue playing catch. We had that conversation in one form or fashion, I don't know how many times throughout the years as we were growing up. And every time when he said, hey, you want to go to church with me? My answer was, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Now, you would think he would have become discouraged by, most people would become discouraged by that, right? The failure feeling. That's probably one of the reasons why those of, Many of us hesitate to even share our faith with other people for fear that people don't want to hear it or they won't receive it or, God forbid, it would become awkward, right? Well, I tell you that story this morning about my friend Mike because I want to use it as an invitation to all of you on a journey that we're going to be taking as a church together between now and Um, Easter. 
It is a journey, I'm going to warn you right now, it is a journey that may cause you to feel uncomfortable from time to time. Maybe even a little awkward. But when that happens, I want to encourage you right now that um, it's okay, don't give up, because this journey that we are going to be on together in these next several weeks is a journey that is worth it, number one, but it could have eternal significance for you and others that you don't even understand right now. So don't give up. And I want you to realize that in those moments, maybe when you feel a little awkward or uncomfortable, that there's a real good chance that the reason why you feel that way is because you're taking responsibility for something that doesn't belong to you. So, um, remember those things as we begin our journey. Um, and it's a journey that starts very simply, actually. It starts with a choice. And if you were to use kind of an illustration, the journey begins by making the choice to walk across the room. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up to the New Testament book of Romans. You may remember that um, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Bible scholars tell us that if you, if you want to know where to begin uh, reading your Bibles or studying your Bibles, if you, if you want to know, all the Bible is important. We need to know and study all the Bible. But there, there are two particular books of the Bible that scholars would tell us that you need to get to know as Christians intimately because these two particular books of the Bible in the New Testament really give us a, a, a succinct um, understanding, picture of what it means to be a Christian and what a Christian life ought to look like. And if you recall that statement that I made a few weeks ago, those two books of the Bible are the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. Well, the scripture that we're going to be looking at today comes from the book of Romans. Now, there's a lot of very important information, as I alluded to just a moment ago, that can be found in the book of Romans. There, it teaches a lot of Christian concepts or, or Judeo-Christian concepts, things like the sovereignty of God. That's a big religious word, which basically means that God is in control, that God is our authority, the sovereignty of God. But it also talks about the judgment of God and the salvation of God. And the grace of God. All things that um, lead us to our passage of Scripture for today. There are two things that you can find in the book of Romans. Two things about the nature of God that I'm going to um, point to specifically right now that you need to grab a hold of today. And that is that God is both loving and just. Did you know that? In fact, um, though love and justice are kind of um, two, the two sides of the same coin, if you will. They must go together. Love and justice have to go together because one without the other is not good, ultimately. If you have love without, without justice, um, it can soon become something that it's like um, trying to raise a child, just loving them without giving them discipline. You end up with a brat, right? On the other hand, if you try to raise a child and only give them, them discipline without love, then 
you end up with a psychopath, basically. <laughs> right? So you got to have both. You got to have love and you got to have justice. Now, understanding that you've, you've got to have love, what does it mean that God is just? Basically, what it means is that God is holy, that God um, cannot abide sin. That God, because he is holy, cannot be in the same space as sin. So God will, in essence, has to turn his back and walk away from sin. Because he is just, because he is holy. And that is not good news for human beings, because human beings are sinful. All of us are. But because God is not only just, but he is also loving, he loves us so much that he that he was willing to go to whatever length necessary to, um, to provide sinful human beings an opportunity to be in relationship with a loving and, and holy God. So God came up with this very risky plan so that, that might, the opportunity for that might happen. And it was called atonement. Another big religious word. Um, Remember, I didn't grow up going to church, so these big words, I'm going, oh, but they're important. God came up with the plan of atonement, which basically, the word atonement means to be at one with. Okay? That's real, it sounds like a big word, but it's really very simple. To be at one with. God came up with a plan so that you and I could be at one with Him. Okay? That's called atonement. Now, here's the risky part. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 8, you already heard that, right? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 8, God explains his plan that he would die for us, that he would become one of us in the form of Jesus. While we were yet sinners. Did you hear that? His plan was that he would give us opportunity to provide a bridge or a way for sinful human beings to be in relationship with a holy and loving God by providing a sacrifice for our sin. Because he's just, right? We already established that. That Christ died for us while we were yet sinners means that he did this. He implemented the plan with no assurance that you and I would even accept the plan. But he says, you know what it's worth? It's worth the risk. Because even if just one person would choose to be in relationship with me, even if only one sinful human being would choose to be in relationship with me as a pure and holy God, this plan, this risky plan is worth it. So he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, creating this bridge so that we might be made at one with. Sinful human beings might be made at one with a sinless Father God. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it? That is good news.
We have the privilege. God loves us so much. This just and loving God loves us so much that he was willing to to die on the cross. This was expensive. It cost him everything. Just in the hope that you might reciprocate the love. Every time I think about that, it almost makes me cry. You know what makes me also cry? The brokenness in my heart is that I, humanity, so often say, thanks but no thanks. Hurts. I can only imagine the hurt that he feels when that happens. But here's what I pray. My prayer is that every one of you that is here today My prayer is that every one of you has chosen to say yes to this offer of love that Jesus is offering. And if if you if you've never done that, let me tell you how. I'm going to tell you right. I'm going to just stop right in the middle of my sermon and tell you how to do it. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you've never accepted this free gift of love that Jesus is offering, it's not magical. It's It's just a choice. It's first say to him, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he'll say, you're forgiven. It's already been done. You are forgiven. And then, once you, once you have asked for his forgiveness and it's been offered, that's when you say, Jesus, I got this place inside of me that I'm inviting you in. It's this, this throne on my heart that I've been setting on my whole life because I like being in charge. And I've, I am making the decision, Jesus, that I'm going to get off this throne inside of my heart and I'm going to let you sit there and I'm going to let you be my Lord. I accept this forgiveness that you're offering and I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior. It's not magical, though it is magical, isn't it? It really is just a choice. And it's the most important choice of your life. And my prayer is that every one of you have made that choice. My prayer is that every single one of you, because you've made that choice, have felt your life transformed because you've made that choice. My prayer is that every single one of you are experiencing a life that is better, that is a purposeful A life that you, that you know you wouldn't be living if it weren't for this love that Jesus has offered you. Because if you're experiencing that kind of love, you're not going to be able to hold it inside. You're going to need, you're going to desire, you're going to want somehow to let it out and, and to tell others. It's, it's like, somebody described it this way once. It's kind of like a, a, a starving man having found where the bread is baked. And you're able to share with somebody else who's starving this bread. That, my friends, is called evangelism. And that, my friends, is where it starts feeling scary and awkward, right? For most of us. 
Most of us are scared to death of the idea of sharing Christ with the world. It's not that we don't love Jesus. We do love Jesus. It's just that we don't, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to start. Well, be at peace because in the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about what it might look like in you to share the love of Jesus with others. Remember earlier when I said to you that the reason why we often feel awkward and um, uncomfortable when it comes to sharing our faith, the reason why is because we, have, we, we choose to take responsibility for the wrong things? Well, what are those wrong things? Because identifying those things will help you to, to take responsibility for the right things, right? So I'm going to start our journey this morning by helping you to understand what the wrong things are. The, the wrong things that you've been take, thinking you had to take responsibility for when it comes to sharing Christ with the world. The first mistake you have made is this. You believe that it's your responsibility to know everything. Listen to me. It is not your responsibility. For you to share Christ with the world does not require you to know everything. It does not require that you know your Bible inside and out. Knowing your Bible is a good thing. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't know your Bible, but I'm going to let you in a little secret as one who didn't grow up going to church. I didn't care one little bit if somebody, as a non-Christian, came up to me and said, let me explain to you what the Bible says about salvation. I didn't care. You know what I cared about? I cared about what in the world is working, because your life seems to be working and mine isn't. That's what I wanted to know. Why is your life working and mine isn't? So ultimately, you're not responsible for knowing everything. What you're responsible for is being an expert in one thing. You ready for this? You are responsible for being an expert in the difference that Jesus has made in you. And you're the only one that is an expert at that. If you try to tell somebody else my story, they're going to know right off, off the bat that you're disingenuous and a liar. Tell them your story. That's what they want to know. They don't want you to quote Scripture to them. Maybe later on down the road they will. But to begin with, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for answers. And you are the best one to know what the answer was for you. Okay? Misconception Number two, we believe that it's our responsibility to create opportunities for sharing the gospel. Wrong! Stop that right now. If you think that it's your responsibility as a Christian to create situations or opportunities for you to share the gospel with somebody, stop it right now. I'm telling you right now that people who try to do that screw it up every time. And that's where it feels, that's when it starts feeling awkward. When you're, when you're the one that's trying to create the opportunities, don't do it. So whose responsibility is it? God's. God will create the right time and the right opportunities for you to share your expertise with somebody. So what is your responsibility? Your responsibility is to be paying attention. 
to be ready when God wants to use you to share your story in Christ with someone else. Pay attention. Expect that it's going to happen so that when it does happen, you'll be ready. Not to quote Scripture necessarily, but to tell them your story. That's all they want to know anyway. Misconception number three. We believe wrongly that it's our responsibility for people to say yes to Jesus. It is not your responsibility for people to say yes to Jesus. That's between them and God. So what's your responsibility? Well, it's possible, as we just got done stating, that God wants you to introduce them to Him. What they do with that introduction is between them and God. But it's possible that they may never meet if you didn't introduce them. I told you earlier, for example, my uh, friend Mike, I don't know how many times he shared Christ with me. And how many times did I say, no thanks, thanks, but no thanks. Years that happened. And then one day I did. Not because Mike said anything to me, or it wasn't a direct result of Mike saying anything to me. He wasn't even around when I finally said yes. But I remember going back to him. By this time we were in high school. And I remember saying to Mike, I finally said yes. And it was one of the best days of our lives because now we weren't just friends but we were brothers he could have easily become discouraged and disappointed if he had believed that it was his responsibility to get me to say yes but he knew it wasn't he knew it was between me and God and he had just had the privilege to introduce me for the first time to his best friend I've thought since about um, how my journey with Jesus began when he walked through that hole in the hedge. And if he had chose not to do that, I, I wonder, would I be standing here today? I don't know. The fact is he did. Be, say another way, I'm standing here today because he made the choice to take that proverbial walk across the room. You know I love Prairie Bible Church, right? But what we are talking about today and what we are talking about these next few weeks is not about Prairie Bible Church. This is about the kingdom. This is about inviting people into relationship with Jesus. A relationship that they may never experience. But for you. 
simply because you were willing to take that first step and walk across the room. Let's pray.